Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. And let me welcome uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, and thank you so much for coming on the show. I, if you don't mind, uh, Congressman, in the last hour, I had a caller who had a very interesting question, and I want to play it. It, it uh, let me pl- and and get your response because I promised him at least I'd would run it past you. It is in reference to uh, the process, impeachment versus a simple majority vote to keep uh, pres- uh, former President Trump running again. Uh, play it, uh, um, Darrell, if you don't mind. I have uh, been just kind of researching and looking at what this impeachment means and maybe potential ways that uh, the previous president could be blocked from running again. And I came across something that's interesting under the U.S. Codes of Statutes, uh, Article 2, Section 4. It talks about the two-thirds vote being necessary to impeach the president. However, subsequent to that, there's another vote that the Senate can have that only requires a simple majority that will not allow him to hold public office again. And it doesn't seem to link the fact that you have to be convicted for that second uh, vote to occur. It seems as if the Senate just has to vote to say, well, okay, we didn't convict him, but let's take a vote on whether he could hold public office again. And instead of that being two-thirds, there's nowhere inside of that, and it seems like, um, according to all the information and the opinions that I'm seeing the lawyers write, that that's a simple majority, which means that technically he could not be convicted, but still a vote could be held and he won't be able to hold and and so and and I must admit I, I and I didn't know how to answer that. Um, I took a stab at it, and that was that apparently a decision has been made. Let's go forward with the uh, impeachment trial, and then wait to see the outcome of that. Uh, can you respond to that that caller? Yes. Uh, good morning, Joe. It's great to be with you, and it's a very important question. Good. And as far as I uh, can tell in terms of my analysis, there are two different approaches here in terms of the provision that would prohibit uh, Donald Trump from ever being able to seek office again. In terms of impeachment, uh, the penalty for impeachment is twofold. One, removal, if Uh, the civil servant is in office. Donald Trump has left office, so that penalty uh, would no longer be applicable. Uh, And then prohibition from ever holding office again. Now, if he's convicted, then the Senate does proceed to hold a vote uh, whereupon a simple majority could prohibit him from ever seeking office again. We don't believe that in the absence of a conviction uh, that the Senate could then proceed based on the impeachment provision uh, to voting to prohibit Donald Trump from running in 2004 or for any other office in the country. However, there's a separate provision in the United States Constitution uh, as part of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, which was put into place in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War uh, for a variety of reasons, including equal protection under the law, 
uh, for the newly freed slaves is the primary clause that most people are familiar with. But there's another clause in Section 3 uh, that prohibits anyone who has engaged in insurrection or provided aid and comfort to an insurrection from holding office. Now, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment hasn't been tested in recent uh, modern American history, perhaps because there hadn't been an insurrection in modern American history. There are many scholars and people within the Congress who believe that we could um, conduct a uh, 14th Amendment Section 3 proceeding, make the determination with simple majorities in the House and the Senate through a resolution that Donald Trump has engaged in insurrection or provided aid and comfort to the January 6th insurrection and therefore uh, is prohibited from ever serving again. Then the Supreme Court likely would weigh the question uh, as to whether this post-Civil War provision is applicable to, to Donald Trump. Wow. I got you. All right. I, I understand. I understand. So, so the... So if you pulled that trigger that you just described, the one thing we should certainly understand, it'll end up going to the Supreme Court. That, that, that's correct, because what would likely happen, uh, and again, the history of this provision is you know, after the Civil War, you right. had all of these traitors and insurrectionists and seditionists running around the South. And the conclusion was made by the Congress through this amendment, uh, that they shouldn't be uh, able to hold office ever again. These are people right. who engaged in an insurrection against the United States and tried to break up the country, of course, on the question of slavery. And, and, and so this, this would provision be was the, put in. Yeah, and this would be uh, – then what you have to prove is that, that, Trump, that Trump provided aid and comfort, incited insurrection – and that would be the standard that would have to be proven. That, 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 that's correct. And what's interesting here, the nuance, and you said it, uh, Joe, is that we're, we're charging an impeachment, and we believe he incited the insurrection. He, he directed, he, you know, he, he summoned the mob to Washington, D.C., based on the big lie that he actually won the election, and the election right. was stolen, so they had to stop the steal. He then incited the mob uh, with his remarks and did that in the preceding several months. He then directed the mob uh, to march on the Capitol. They then attacked the Capitol violently with deadly consequences. So we charge him with incitement. I believe he should be convicted if the Senate's on the other, senators on the other side of the aisle have a heart uh, and a brain. But we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, now, you know, because I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Fin yeah, uh, so on. I was just going to finish the thought, Joe, to your point. The Section 3 provision of the 14th Amendment talks about insurrection or aid and comfort. That's a lower standard, we believe. Right. Aid and comfort isn't even incitement or direct involvement. It's assisting it. We can argue, perhaps, that he certainly did that. And, and would part of that argument be not sending the National Guard in, even though requests were made from senators like uh, Congressman um, uh, Steny Hoyer, who was calling the governor of Maryland, uh, we need we need help here. Bring in the National Guard. 
They couldn't because the sec- the acting Secretary of Defense uh, said, "You can't. I'm not going to do it, and you they're not coming unless I give permission." Could would that be an argument? Certainly, I think that would be one of the more powerful arguments that exists. The Capitol Police officers and the Metropolitan Police officers on January 6th were clearly, you know, under-resourced uh, and underprepared, and they were overwhelmed. Right. And so had the National Guard been mobilized quicker, uh, certainly the insurrection would have been put down earlier, and perhaps many of those injuries that occurred, and certainly some of those deaths could have been avoided. You know, more than 140 Capitol Police officers have been seriously injured a lot of those injuries are brain and head trauma. One officer lost three fingers. He'll never get those fingers back. Another officer is on the verge of losing uh, at least one eye and will be blind. Uh, and the consequences of that attack are going to be felt for years by so many people. A lot of that perhaps could have been avoided absent what appears to have occurred, which is the delay in the Department of Defense authorizing the D.C. National Guard to be released because D.C. is not a state. The mayor doesn't have the ability to do it on her own, and it's hard to cross in from Maryland or Virginia absent authorization. So that's something that I think the impeachment managers are going to explore. Now, uh, let me ask your opinion, um, and this is not a softball question, but I, 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 it's an honest one. Um, do you think that the, the the House impeachment managers did what the, met their mission, did what they uh, were supposed to do, and did they do a good job at it? Yeah, no, I thought they did a phenomenal job. And, you know, Jamie Raskin, the lead impeachment manager, um, you know, told his story, which is a story that everybody in that room experienced in different ways, uh, because everyone in that uh, courtroom, the Senate sitting in a court of impeachment, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, uh, was there on January 6th uh, and faced the threat of being overrun by that violent mob. And Jamie put that all into context. The video was powerful. I thought Joe Nagoose, who's a brilliant young member uh, of the House, really explained why this argument that it's unconstitutional to conduct an impeachment trial for a former president has no merit, no basis in law, in fact, or in precedent. Uh, And David Cicilline was very strong as well. By contrast, you had the first Trump lawyer who was all over the map, unprepared, uh, rambling. And then you had the other second Trump lawyer who never Hmm. barely looked up. No personality, no connection to the people he was speaking with. Arguments were off-key didn't address the merits of what the House impeachment managers uh, said. So it was a strong opening day, I think, for team democracy uh, and a very weak opening day for team sedition. Yeah, because the, the, well, the phrase that I, I, I found interesting, they weren't talking about the quote-unquote the issue at hand. And so you had to, I mean, you had one senator turning to another, I'm talking on the Republican side, said, did I miss something? They're not talking about the issue at hand. And the issue at hand was, is this constitutional? That was, the, that was what they were supposed to either prove or disprove, correct? That's correct. And okay. they were rambling on about motive and the voters should be able to decide and 
with trying to take away the ability of Donald Trump from seeking office again. No, the framers of the Constitution said if someone is convicted, then you can face the penalty of being barred from ever running for office again. And not only did the framers do it, we also know it's in the 14th Amendment. Now, uh, they were talking about motive and objective, and this is all kind of part of a Democratic witch hunt. It was classic Donald Trump reckless talking yeah. points off key, not addressing the merits of the argument. Could could the could the um, could the managers could they use videotape? from news organizations showing the president at the time uh, being gleeful at the watching it play out on television at the White House. Does that show state of mind as it relates to adding aid and comfort? Yes, in my view, uh, it certainly does. And I would expect uh, that we'll see some evidence of that entered into the record in terms of the president's reaction. We saw yesterday, for instance, that the tweet that he issued four hours after the insurrection began, basically expressing his support for what occurred and lecturing people who were on the run uh, from a violent mob that this is what happens when you steal an election. In other words, he continued to perpetrate the big lie while the insurrection was taking place. If that's not state of mind evidence, I'm not sure what is. Uh, But that video you referred to, Joe, I think also could be very powerful, and Mm -hmm. we are likely to see it. Yeah, because I, just common sense, I, you know, I, I, you know, Congressman, uh, I, I, I keep asking myself, what did he expect this mob to do after he told them march down and and what disrupt the one aspect of our government that i mean what was what what did he what did he expect them to do what stop at the water edge that's to me the 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 the, uh, the question at hand well that's correct and and i believe he said at the rally at least 15 times, if not more, fight. Fight like hell. If you don't fight, yeah. you won't have a country anymore. I mean, this is plain language that is used repeatedly. And then he sends them to the Capitol. And, by the way, lies and says that he's going to join them. He was going to join them, right, right. Right. And you know they believe them. And <laughs> yeah, so that's right. that was further incitement. Now, final question, and I heard this yesterday, I, and I, I, I just need to see if this is correct. I know that it takes two-thirds majority to find him uh, guilty. Someone said, and it was a professor, someone said, it's two-thirds of those present in the Senate. Not two-thirds of the 100, but two-thirds of those present. And one of the points that was being made, you, maybe there might be some Republican senators who may not show up so that they you know, have an excuse not to vote for or against. What's your read on that? It is also my understanding that it's two-thirds of those present. I think that's also the case 
if there were to be an expulsion resolution, for instance, against people like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. So that does mm-hmm. provide a potential pathway yeah. uh, to bringing about justice and accountability in these instances. I just think the senators are going to have to make a decision. Are they going to stand on the side of democracy or stand with the effort to overthrow the U.S. government, halt the peaceful transfer of power, and undermine a free and fair election? Shouldn't yeah. be complicated, uh, in my view, but let's see what happens over the next few days. All right. Can I hope we can call on you again, Congressman Jeffries. I, I so appreciate your clarity on some of these issues. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this morning. Always great to be with you. All right. But I also want to be clear that there is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. So while we are implementing um, the criteria of the advisory committee and of the state and local um, guidances to get uh, vaccination across these eligible uh, communities, I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Uh, uh, Becky Pringle, Madam President of the DEA, thank you so much for being back with us on the Madison Show. A lot of teachers, a lot of parents uh, and students listening to the the program. Um, uh, Help us. uh, what, What is the message you want them to understand today, this morning? Good morning, Joe. It is so good to be back with you. Uh, I I want to just start by saying this. You know, I Joe. I know you know that I, I taught science, uh, right. the middle middle school science, eighth grade for over thirty years, and this is what I know. Okay. Educators want nothing more than to be in person with their students. It's just, it's what we've been saying all year, and many of them already are. What we've been saying for 10 months is we need the resources to ensure that every single school is able to put in place those strategies, those mitigation strategies that the Centers for Disease Control has said they need to have. And you could recite them with me, Joe. You know that. PPE and social distancing and ventilation mm-hmm. and uh, cleaning and, of course, that the rapid testing and, and tra- tracing so that not if but when a student or an, or an educator contracts the virus, that they have that information right away and they can isolate. So that's what we've been saying for 10 months. And you know we've been waiting for 10 months because Congress has enacted, Right. They, of course, uh, had that anemic bill passed in December, did (laughs) nothing to provide resources to schools to do that. So we've been working on that for a really, really long time. Uh, We know that with the vaccines now uh, available, that that gives us a lot of hope and promise to add that extra layer of protection for educators. And and what what we've been calling for, and the CDC has said the same thing as has President Biden that states should prioritize educators. They should put them in their prioritization list because we know that will make our schools safer. And and it's like, you know, uh, certain age groups, uh, 65 and older, that's their priority. 
and I absolutely agree with that. And now, now let me ask this question. Let, let's say the, the, the Congress gives you the package financially you need. I keep thinking mm-hmm. about, in particular, outdated inner city schools. Lord knows you had pro- problems before the pandemic, particularly right. when you start talking about ventilation and, and, th- and that type of thing. What would happen in that situation? Because even if you put a check in a school district's hands, it's going to take time, would it not, uh, to, to retrofit many of these schools? So, so I really appreciate that you're thinking deeply about these things because not not many people do, and you're absolutely correct. And so that's why when people ask me or ask educators, okay, when, 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 that's a hard question to answer because it does depend on that school and the steps they've already taken to make them safe. You're absolutely correct. We have been talking about school modernization for decades and we know which schools don't have proper ventilation. Those yeah. are the schools that are black and brown and indigenous students go to, our students living in poverty, and they have been exposed to unsafe air quality and water forever. It's why our kids are already predisposed to having asthma, which of course yeah. predisposes them to getting COVID and mm-hmm. having, having really adverse uh, reactions. So it's not new. But for those who are calling for our students and educators to go back into those sick buildings in a pandemic, they're not thinking about the the, uh, additional cost to people's health. And so that's what we've been talking about. You know, I saw a picture from, you know, my hometown of Philly where, you know, there were just like fans lined up in the hallway and that was the answer to uh, you are kidding me. <laughs> but you and I know, I, I know wow. the some schools, and you, you and I know what those schools look like, right? The, sure. The, the windows are not, can't even open. And if they do open, they only open a little bit. And what, what, how's that helping anything? It's not, it's circulating the air that's already in the, in the, in the classroom. That's right. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, that long-term investment <clears throat> in school modernization that we need, and we needed it anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and all right. So so what are so what is your what do you want the parents and teachers who listen to this show listening to you right now? What do they need to do? You know, my show is radioactive, so it's not just a question of calling (laughs) me up a little play on words there. But the, 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 the what do you want them to do? What do, what do they need to do right now? I want them to continue to lift up their voices. What's so powerful is for teachers and parents, and I'm so glad you included them together. So many people try to um, drive this wedge between teachers and parents. First of all, teachers are parents, so there's that. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> right. Hey, so, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sitting next to a... I'm sitting next to my executive producer, who's, who is my wife, whose mother was a, a, a teacher, so... So you know exactly what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I know. Um, so and her sister. Them, no. <laughs> right. You know, I, we did, we, we actually, um, NEA actually partnered with the PTA to do a survey of parents okay. and how they were feeling. And then we just did a survey of educators. And we surveyed students, too. And what we saw, we, we saw the consistent message from all of them 
that they want to be back in school, but they want it to be safe. So our parents are equally concerned about sending kids back into unsafe unsafe buildings. So what I would say to both educators and parents is they they need to continue to lift up their voices and tell real sto- the real stories about real students, about real schools, real educators, because those who are in positions, uh, you know, those decision makers, they're, they, they're not thinking like you just um, what you just said, Joe, that yeah. it's going to take time to do these things. And right. so what I'm encouraging them to do is to continue to lift up their voices, to come to the stay together. Uh, and and really demand that the entire community work together in a collaborative way. That's what our kids need. They need the caring yeah. adult, the adults in the system, to come together and work together. Don't point fingers of blame at this That's one and right. that one. Yeah. Come yeah. together and say, okay. this is what I we're going to do for seconds. our students. Yeah. yeah. We'll call you. I, I hope you can come back on this uh, as we... Uh, push these senators and and these members of congress to get this money into people's hands because this 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 has to be done and we haven't even talked about the mental uh, problems that students are having uh so I'll, I'll, I'll be inviting you back uh, thank you uh, becky franklin thank you so much joe all right you take care we'll continue. you too be safe You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.